hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Howdy and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. And today we are going to be talking about worthiness. It's a very, very touchy subject. You know, I think that there's a lot of women who um, struggle to see how worthy they are. And today I'm chatting with Marie McPherson, who is uh, has written a book all about this. And we're going to dig deep and find out what Marie's got to say about how worthy we truly are. So let me tell you about it. Marie McPherson is an author and leadership coach who is passionate about women creating possibility in regional and rural areas. Her book, Cutting Through the Grass Ceiling, was released in 2017. Born from the recognition that many women are prevented from taking leadership opportunities or they lack confidence to put themselves forward, Cutting Through the Grass Ceiling teaches women how to change their mindset, gain control of their decisions, better understand their values and become visible in their careers. Marie has just published her second book, Worthy, and in Marie's words, it helps women to stop mauling your mojo, straighten your self-talk, and create an intentional life. Marie is also a credentialed coach with the International Coach Federation and is a Fem Economy approved provider. Welcome, Marie. Hey, Karen. It's so good to be here. So good to see you. Good to see you too. I tell you what, I can't, I can't wait till we're now, you know, where all these um gigs are now coming up in person and it's just it's just back, you know, we can see each other again. Everybody can just have coffees and you know, it just really does put a smile back on your face, doesn't it? It sure does. I was speaking with um, my Uplift um, group of women in in my Uplift program this morning and every single one of us had caught up with friends or family over the weekend and such a different energy in the group simply because of that connection with, with other people. It's just, it's lovely. I agree. I, I saw all my family on the weekend for a nephew's birthday and it was, it was just, just fabulous. It really was. And I think, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, we're going to talk about your book, Worthy, that you've got there and, you know, I've got here and uh, that's better. And it's, you know, I think that we'll talk about that soon. I want to talk about some other stuff first, but I think that, you know, the pandemic has really knocked knocked some worthiness out of us, you know, knocked yeah. some confidence out. So um, so hopefully we'll, as we go through this, we'll have some fantastic tips to, you know, make everybody just get back up on their feet again and, you know, feel good but what I want to start with um you know you're really passionate about women you know creating possibility and particularly in um rural areas you know in regional areas so tell us about your life you know growing up like where did this focus come from on on women but but also the desire to really support women in regional areas 
Yeah, thanks, Karen. Uh, you know, being born and bred in a, a regional area, in a in a regional city as it is now, but it wasn't when I was growing up. You know, the town that I grew up in, um, Terralgan, was a small country town when I was growing up. You know, and I went to a secondary school that was a thousand kids, you know, so big for its time. Um but really, and then then when I went off to university, um, the university campus had 600 internal students. It was smaller than my high school. So we're talking, uh, you know, I, I guess my experience as a regional young person formed my um, perspectives on the world and also informed my perspectives on opportunity. Um, and, I, and, and really... Um, I've reached a point where uh, probably in middle of my career, I got a bit bored with hearing so many people talk about the lack of opportunity in regions, the, um, the lack of opportunity for young people and for careers and how closed-minded regional areas could be and that the city was the only place where you could have a fulfilling life. I got really tired of hearing that. Because whilst I can accept that in some regional and rural communities there are some barriers and people do struggle, um, that's not true of every regional community and it's not true for every individual. So this idea that somehow we were the poorer cousins, that really used to grate with me. Um, so, you know, for me it was really about um, the opportunity. You, you can be a really big fish in a small pond. You can have incredible experiences in rural and regional areas and don't have to be cut off from the world and isolated in the way that we perhaps once were you know that the world is a very connected place now um, and so if, if you were talking about the impact of the pandemic and isn't it interesting that we're seeing this revival in rural areas because people are realizing they don't have to live the metropolitan grind. They don't have to live the, the in suburbia. They can move out and have really fulfilling, enriched lives. Still have a job in the city, um, but but not have to be in the city every single day. Uh, so I think you know my my experience of having a really great life in a regional community has probably underpinned my passion for helping other people to see that and to look for the opportunities that might be available to them. Mm. So why are, you why are you focused on lifting women leaders? Now, and I know that's kind of an obvious question, you know, but, um, like, there's there's a lot of great men leaders, you know, that come from rural, rural areas. Yes, and so yes. why, the, why do women need that nudge, you know, like, I'm going to say this before you answer, right, um, there are already women in leadership positions in, in regional, right, and they're doing tremendously well, but they still doubt themselves and you support them not to doubt themselves. So what, why, why did you pick women and how did you recognise this gap? You know, I think it's probably because I am a woman. I've probably felt on my skin the same um, sensations, the same pain, the same joy. I've asked myself the same questions. I've certainly been someone who uh, had an inner dialogue that was, you know, until you go and be a CEO in the city, you haven't made it. 
Um, so all of that, you know, probably informs the services that I offer now and the books that I write. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, we're focused on regional and rural women and yet many of the women that I work with who are metropolitan-based would say all the same issues exist for them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, this is not unique to living, living in a country area. This is really about, you know, the self-talk that women have. Um, but my choice is based around partly experience and expertise and, um, you know, life um, uh, connection, but also because, um, like you say, there are there have traditionally been fewer opportunities for women to lead in regional areas. Um, they've they've led very effectively for centuries. You know, well, for thousands of years, if you, if we talk about our um, uh, Aboriginal and First Australian sisters, they you know they've been leading for. A very very long time, um, but I guess the opportunities now are quite different. So we are seeing more women in leadership roles and staying longer, and having enormous impact on regional communities. And more generally, you know, we've had a female prime minister in Australia at last. Hooray! Um, but I I think the self doubt still exists for a lot of women, and so you know what I'm driven by is unpacking that you know what is it that's creating that doubt we know that there are social structures we know that the world we live in um, puts women in a, in a particular position where um, you know we're not having as many opportunities and a lot of women are breaking through that um, but there's something that we do to ourselves as well you know there is something about our internal dialogue that needs to shift and that's not to suggest that the self-talk um shouldn't happen or that we shouldn't notice it and pay attention to it but it's what we do with that once we've heard it uh you know let's let's reframe let's let's get connected to where you know what is this self-talk telling us and uh where might it lead why is it that doesn't matter how many times females are told don't doubt yourself you'll be right you, you've got the skills you got the why, why is it that women continue to? I think there's a couple of things and I, it's probably not unique to women, but we certainly talk about it a lot more. And I think men uh, in general, I mean, there's a sweeping generalisations, aren't they? But, but generally, I think um, we do, um, it, it is an affliction that affects us more. Um, I, I've got a couple of theories. I'm no expert in this, but I have a couple of theories. And one is comparison. I think we do a lot of comparing of ourselves to other people. I'm not as brave as, I'm not as attractive as, I'm not as educated as, you know, there's there's a list, uh, uh, you know, three arms long of the things that we may not be as. Um, there's also no shortage of advice out there. <laughs> and I try really hard not to give advice because I can only talk about what's worked for me what's worked for my clients uh, like you know, everybody's journey is individual and unique so it, it's really interesting one of my nieces-in-law shared a video uh, on social media this week which I just loved I found it confronting but I loved it and it was uh, I, I don't know who it was so I can't uh, attribute um, but it was a video recording of a woman reading over and over and over the range of advice that is given to young mums, 
you know, yep. give your baby a dummy. Oh, no, dummies are not good, you know, or breast is best, but, oh, gosh, you know, why are you feeding your child for that long? It was very confronting, but it's so true. Mm. You know, I think I'm using that analogy because um, there is constant advice on social media, television, women's magazines, the bookshelves, everywhere we look, you cannot get away from it. Um, there is advice about how to be a better woman or how to be better in your career or a better mother or a better friend or a better sister. I mean, for goodness sake, <laughs> is it any wonder that we are constantly comparing ourselves to others and constantly questioning our own judgment because we are just bombarded with this stuff? And I guess my work is all about saying, quieten that down listen to you what do you really want what do you know what do you really want and what are you really um wanting to contribute to others um what are you bringing to the world you know forget all that noise that's white noise mm. what else could be right for you yeah and it is so individualized isn't it and i you know you talked about comparisons and i was just thinking just thinking about all of the particularly for middle aged women you know it's a little bit better now but not a lot better but the magazines and you know like magazines are not so much now now it's more social media with influencers but you know when you and I were younger, the magazines were just littered with all these gorgeous models. And, you know, of course you're going to compare, you know, and if if you're not quite up to it, then you're going to rebel so that you could be something different. And it's just, yeah, there's just, and I agree with all this advice, you be a better this, be a better that. What if we are already good enough? And it's it's so personalised, you know. When, what what you reminded me of too is when I used to teach um disability, and I've said this on a few podcasts. Yeah. One of the, you know, they were sort of mostly middle aged women who were ready, you know, they were like, oh, well, now what am I going to do? And they came to do the disability course to work with people with disabilities. But when I asked them partway through, what do you really want? I would have tears for weeks because I don't know who I am anymore, you know. And it was this constant pressure of. Yeah. Be a good wife, be a good mother, you know, be a better mother. You know, that, that you, if you're not, if you're out working, you're not a good mother. And it was just this constant barrage of, anyway, we, we could go down a bloody rabbit burrow there because I reckon that, <laughs> that stuff goes on forever. But, you know, and, and, and I don't think, you know, you, you can never address it all. But it's a, like you're saying, it's about raising that awareness to, to start thinking, what am I thinking? You know, could I be thinking differently? Could I? just having some reflection on and noticing what's what's coming up so I love that the other thing is too we're talking about there are opportunities you know that that maybe there's less but they're still there but women don't put themselves forward as much you know they don't have the confidence to put themselves forward have you what have you noticed about that well, you know, there's the old adage that women will wait until they're 120 percent qualified or they'll put themselves forward. Now, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, pushback against that theory that maybe maybe it's not quite to that degree. But there, you know, when I think about the women I've worked with in my coaching programs and my group programs and women's workshops, you know, the hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people that I've worked with, um, there's definitely a trend which suggests that we don't feel as ready. Um, even when we are uh, better equipped 
And, mm. and that's probably also connected to the fact that when we do put our hand up, um, it's been harder to get, it's been hard to get seen and be visible. And, you know, there's all, again, there's a lot of advice to women about how to be more visible and to be seen and all the rest of it. You know, there's, there's books and books and books on the bookshelves about that. Um, so I think um, coming back to your, your point, there is a tendency for us to put everybody else's needs first. And eventually that's what this my second book worthy is all about, that um, we're less likely to step forward for ourselves until everybody else's needs are looked after. Yep. So I do think women are better at standing up and saying, I want this. Um, they'll hesitate until the kids and their partner and their parents and everybody else is looked after and they come last. And I guess what I'm wanting women to uh, try and address is that perhaps getting in touch with your needs first is a priority because you actually are going to be a better partner, friend, daughter, sister, um, employee, all of those things. You'll be better at that if you can connect with your own um, true self and mm. feel some of those needs earlier. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think I think stepping into leadership has become easier, or perhaps for a lot of women, creating their own opportunity, creating their own businesses, like you and I, um, not necessarily waiting for a man to get out of the way in a CEO job. Go and create your own. Go and make your own adventure. Um, there's an awful lot of that happening around Australia. Yeah. Um, but but this um, sense of well, I have to wait for everybody else to be okay before I do that for me. That's that's the trend that I notice. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed it too, and it's it's um, it makes sense, makes perfect sense to um, if if I take care of me, you know, I can then take care of those I love. But it feels counterintuitive. It feels wrong for women, you know, and it's uh, and it's not like I don't believe any of us as young girls were told, oh no, now you have to come last. You you must come last. We told that well I mean some maybe but you know general generalizing again because I mean we just have to generalize we haven't got time to go get into every goddamn nitty-gritty of every single person but it's um none of us were really told that you know but we've still adopted it it's a, a funny funny and, and probably back to the comparisons again you know it's yeah and we, look we may not have been told it in in as many words but there were lots of um, cues, components and cues and yeah. insidious messages that actually we do come last. And, you know, we think about the role models that we had, our grandmothers, our mothers, our school teachers, they actually did put themselves last. They actually did model that behaviour. And that was um, rewarded as, you know, the message from society was she's mother. a good wife, she's a good mum, you know, or she stayed home with the children and didn't go back to work until they were all through school. That was that was good parenting. She was a good mother. Um, and so, and she volunteered lots in the community. So all those insidious messages, nothing wrong with any of those things, by the way, <laughs> you know, yeah. like put that rider on it. Um, but the message was you're not good if you're doing something different. Yeah. Um, that there is something deficient in you if you chose something different. It's a little bit like my decision not to have children. You know, it, I'm, I'm nearly 56. And back when I chose that, um, uh, it was still kind of unusual. 
wasn't unusual in my family. I had cousins overseas and an aunt here in Australia who, who were, didn't have kids. And so to me, it was, it was a choice I could make. But for a lot of women, that was a really scary, wow, you made that choice? Wow. And so, you know, for me, that's an example of where we have given some really strong um, underlying messages to people. Unless you do things in this particular way, then you're not really ticking the right boxes. And yeah. I, do, I just don't think men have ever had that pressure. They've never had that level of expectation placed upon them. And mm. that's, I think, the challenge that we that we face. Mm. There's a lot of layers, isn't there? Like just stacks and stacks. It's not not just one onion. I think we've we got to peel back a whole bloody bag of onions. You know, those great big Hessian ones. Fields of them. Fields of them. <laughs> Uh, well, my role model was Susie Quattro, so I, I, I think I might have had different sort of, uh, you know, just go out there and get it and just <laughs> bloody, <laughs> just trample over the world. But anyway, I, I love it. No, but you, it's just so right. Now, I think um, throughout your career, you know, you've often been the only woman in the room because, you know, this is, it's only you talking about now there's a lot of opportunities for women leaders, but I, I can think back even, even 10 years ago, you know, when I was doing some um, other, other, some work, when I was actually paid by someone else and could never bloody stand that lifestyle. But there are a lot of men, a lot more men in um, management positions, you know, and there was just the odd woman. And often it was criticised, you know, that woman, oh, she must have big balls, you know, because she's stepping up there with a man and, you know, like, or, or she slept with someone, you know, there's always these kind of conversations. Nobody ever said, oh, she's a great leader. She deserves to be there. Yeah. It's all kind of like all these, uh, you know, really humiliating com uh, comments, you know, to that woman. Now, you've been the only woman in the room you know, throughout your career and how, how have those experiences, you, you know, from being the only woman in the room transferred to the ideals and concepts that you, uh, you know, teach and share today? Like did that have a, did that play a part? Oh, for sure. And, you know, equally I've worked in environments where um, I've been in female-dominated industries as well. And interestingly, despite um, the female dominance throughout most of the um, uh, positions in the organisation, the men have been at the top. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so, yes, I've equally been in that environment as well as often being the only female at the table or, or in the room in, in different roles. And I guess what those experiences have taught me is that um, uh, I don't want to be the only woman in the room. It's far, far better when you've got some bystanders and allies to support you. Um, the other thing that it taught me, though, Karen, was um, where, where there were men that I could reach out to and say, hey, I'm feeling really strongly about this issue. Um, I don't think I'm going to be heard in the same way unless I've got one of you backing me. So when this happens, when this guy decides he's going to um, shoot me down or um, say the exact same thing and make it his idea, you know, I need you to back me up. So what I learned was to um, almost have preliminary conversations in advance of board meetings or group discussions or team um, conversations. I would position things so that I had my support crew um, in advance. 
So I, I knew, and now, you know, that sounds like a crazy amount of extra hard work and why did I need to do that? Um, but if you think back 20 years, um, that's kind of what you had to do. You, you know, you really, in order to be at the table, you had to be able to do those things. So almost thinking about who, who do I need in my pit crew here and while I'm doing that, who am I looking behind me towards? Um, who are the women coming behind me that I can grab by the hand and help them up the ladder? You know, it's not just for me to climb and go, come on up. I need to go back down and grab them and, and bring them with me. So, you know, there's, there's tactics and strategies that I certainly used in order to create more influence and buy myself some some buddies <laughs> to have at the table so that I didn't feel that sense of isolation and loneliness. It's hard, um, but the beautiful thing about today is we're seeing that change. Although, you know, when you hear some of the experiences of some of the most senior women in this nation, even in the last 12 months, it's still not easy, you know, it's still not easy. It's it's you. You remind me of that. Um, you know that meme where it's kind of, it's kind of like you know like a racetrack, and the men have just got a clear path, and the women have got to get over the washing machine and hang the washing out. You know, it's all these obstacles. And you, what you're sort of saying is that you you're adding. You had to add. You felt you had to add. Not only not only are you competing with all these washing washing lines and Christ knows what you know in the background in the in the family home because you know that's despite what how good your husband is you know you still got this still has to be done and then you've got then you got this next layer of extra work where you you're spending all this extra energy and time sort of um you you know building allies you know building partnerships all around the place simply so you could be heard and I, I reckon that. I reckon that sucks. I can absolutely see the need for it and I can absolutely see why you would do it and I can see the strategy and, and how you would sort of set the scene for the other women coming up. But that that just bloody sucks, do you, you know, that you should have to do that. And and the other thing I'm thinking about that is that you had the, you had the I'll say the, the balls or the bravery or the courage or the strategy or whatever, you had the, you had the gusto to sit there and say, well, I want to be at this table and if the only way I can do it is by getting these guys to ally with me. But there are so many women now who, who, who don't even have the courage or confidence or strength to gain those allies and they go into this, this space completely, they're ambushed before they even get in there. Yeah. They're, just, they're, they're finished before they get in there and it's... um. You know, we've been talking a lot about to 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 people a lot lately. Is and and Leah Metha is one that, that talks about this a lot too. Is that yeah. when there's another woman at the table, you as a woman make sure you say, "Hey, I think Rosemary had something to say," or "Do you have something to say?" And and I think we've got to get better as women. Um, make creating that space for other women to to. Um, you know, have the opportunity to, to say something. But it's a tough gig, isn't it? It like, is. It's, it's like, um, you know, it's carrying that mental load, isn't it? It's carrying yeah. the extra load. And this is where um, I think that, you know, the men who are doing doing the work to support women in the workplace, this is where the male allies stuff is so valuable because, um, you know, having having somebody at the table who says, actually, Bob, I think that's what Karen just said. You know, I, I can go back to Karen's point because I think this is the track that we're on. I'd like to hear more. 
that's the stuff where it really does have some power and some impact. And I did have a number of male champions who did that for me. You know, they weren't mentors. They were sponsors and champions. They absolutely said, no, hang on a minute. That's what Marie was saying. Let's unpack that, you know, whatever whatever they said at the time, it was really about that's a great idea, tell us more, uh, rather than listening to the blokes. Yeah, well, I think it's easy to be to become very sexist and say, you know, the, the men are just bastards and all this kind of stuff, but it's not actually true. And, you know, and I've, I don't get me wrong, I know some uh, male managers that are absolute bloody pigs, you know, that, that shouldn't be in that job, you know, and just are absolutely atrocious. But I would suggest that most men, most men, you know, except for the ones that have been there way too long, are genuine allies of women, you know, you're coming forward. But I think that they, they're just not conditioned. They're just not conditioned to understand yeah. all of this stuff that's going on. And, but I think if you get the opportunity to speak to them and say, well, even if they were listening to this podcast going, oh, shit, I didn't even realise that. I didn't realise all this extra mental load. Then they do come on board. And I think most most men are great allies of women. I, I do believe that, you know, because I've got so many great male mates, you know, that just get it. But I, I think it's just those ones, those those pig-headed dominating bastards that are just sitting there knocking everybody on the head. Yeah, they're a challenge. But, you know, I, somebody said the other day, it's only going to be another 10 years and a lot of them will be gone. Yeah, and, you know, you, you're so right. And I I think it's also about um, this, there, is, there is a difference. I was talking to a male CEO a few years back um, where in an organisation where I was running a group program. And I asked him, you know, what led you to run this program for the women in your team? What was it that, that you know, inspired you to bring me in? What happened? Mm. And he said he'd had conversations with his team who were predominantly female um, about some of the challenges that they were facing in doing their work and some of the, the barriers they were confronting, some of the sexism and biases and you know, they all talked about waking up in the morning and thinking, oh, I've got to do this today. I wonder if I'm skilled enough, equipped enough, brave enough, you know, not feeling all that confident. And he said, you know, I don't wake up in the morning and think, am I confident enough to do what I've got to do today? He said, it just never crosses my mind. As a bloke, I don't wake up and have those feelings. Mm. And I was staggered that my workforce was feeling like this. Like, yeah. what can I do about that? Because that's not my experience. And he said, you know, I don't think I'm an unusual man. I just think in general men don't have that sort of self-talk. You know, we might occasionally, um, there might be something that happens that distracts us or upsets us and we deal with it. But in general, we're not doing that to ourselves. And so he was really confronted by that and wanted to help, you know, create a change in his workforce. Um, and I thought that was a really powerful observation from him. Mm. Um, and it did get me thinking about how, yeah, you're right, the majority of men would be fantastic allies, but they haven't been, they don't quite know how and we're not having the conversations to help them. So um, it really is you know, it's it shouldn't be on us as women to help the men do the work. Um, but now we've got so much more discussion about it and openness and, you know, we're talking about diversity and inclusion in different ways. 
um, that I think you know, we're starting to have these discussions in a much deeper way, and that's that's fantastic. But this is where the work you do that's so valuable. Do you, you know, like because you, you're really talking about we're both talking about it, um, you know building assertiveness skills, you know, and building building worthiness, a sense of worthiness, building confidence, building all this you know, courage, and so that women can actually like that man's workforce can actually step up and say, hey, you know, did you know that I feel this and I don't want to feel this anymore? And they should be able to say it without the shame or embarrassment. But it's a, it's about being assertive. And, you know, a lot of the times women are passive aggressive. This is a generalisation, but it's because we're taught, you know, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, can I be better? Am I confident? You know, so we're sitting there in this sort of passive, we've been sort of pushed back a little bit to be passive. And then when we get challenged, I oh, know we're not interested in what you've got to say or we're overlooking you. We come out with aggression like, yeah, you're not listening to me. You know, and I'm not saying for one minute that all women are passive aggressive. That's not what I'm saying. But it, it is it, it in a lot of situations in the workforce where it's male-dominated, that's almost it's almost a default position because there's no other way to get that voice out you know and the the stuff that you're teaching the stuff that you're working with women is so valuable because while you're not actually outwardly saying I'm teaching you assertiveness skills you know through through the work you do and building them up and building them up and making them um you know, helping them to understand who they are and reflect on what's important to them and what skills they actually do have that they may have overlooked, that that brings this level of assertion, you know, up and it and it they're able to have those conversations. So I, I think the work you do is, is truly valuable in that way. Do you, you know, well, in a lot of ways, but like I'm just specifically thinking about that. You know, it's I I love that. Love what you're doing. You know, you you made a beautiful point, Karen, about, um, you know, people being able to see their own value. And, you know, it's all about context, isn't it? Um, And, you know, this is where this is where the book came from, because, uh, you know, until we discover our own worth until and until we stop seeing our own development investment in ourselves, until we stop seeing that as self-indulgent, um, then, you know, nothing will shift. But once we're able to say, you know, when I invest in me, when I invest in my development, when I invest in my own um, self-care, that's not self-indulgence. That's actually making me a better person for the people that I love and care about and for my workplace. You know, it's actually getting in touch with yourself and understanding the things that you're good at, that the things that you value, you know, what drives you, your personal vision, all of that stuff really matters because it enables you to operate within the world um, in a much more um, powerful way. You know, we can't be empowered if we don't know who we are. So, you know, for me, that really is step one, you know, get to know you, get to know what drives you. Um, It's not self-indulgent. It's really, really important. Yeah, it really is, but I still think we've got a long way to go because we're still back. We've still got a lot of those, um, you know, the, a lot of the dregs hanging on from the past. You, you know, that tell us that that we don't we don't put ourselves first. But we, I think it's changing. I, I see that changing, and I see a lot more women, um, you know, recognizing that that and it, well, and particularly since the pandemic, self care has been put on the table more. You know, it's been 
people saying, well, what are you doing? You know, you know, go and see somebody or, or work with somebody or get a mentor, you know, this sort of stuff. It's been, it's been um, the conversation has been a lot more put out there, in, not in a judgy way, not in a kind of like, oh, God, you need a mentor, oh, God, you're doing person. You know, it's, it's been true, the value of it has truly been put out there to say you really need to do this or if you don't, why wouldn't you? What? Like, why wouldn't you do this for yourself? So I think it's shifting. And I think the pandemic's probably given a real beautiful nudge in that direction that women will start, are starting to, um, you know, invest in themselves more. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're having different conversations as a consequence, aren't we? You know, even um, as much as as much as the pandemic has has created real challenges for people with their mental health in many respects, um, the fact that we're even having that conversation has to be a plus. You know, 10 years ago, we probably wouldn't have been talking about that stuff. You know? And it, it's kind of it's kind of been revolutionary and evolutionary in my opinion. Uh, it's really shifted the conversations that we're having. It's changed the fact that we're talking about the difference between the haves and the have-nots, you know, to use language that I particularly like. But we are looking at what do we do about the people who have been left behind in society? What do we do about, um, you know, the, the glaring differences that we've noticed um, between men and women, between people of privilege and people without, uh, between people of colour and and people who, who, who are experiencing white privilege, uh, you know, not to mention all the other different um, uh, diverse groups in our society. This has made us really present to who we are. And even the division um, in, in society around, um, you know, the, the people who would be talking about mandatory vaccination versus not, um, it's really shone a light on who we are as a society. And I think that's not a bad thing. There have been some negatives that have emerged, but this idea of, well, who do I want to be and how will I care for me so that I can care for others? Um, in a way, it's reconnected us with servant leadership. Um, our, you know, I think, it's, I think it's pretty powerful. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I do too. I, I think that we we've it's very easy to be negative about the pandemic, and and you know what it's it has it's had a lot of negative impact on people. But I agree with you. I think that there's um a silver lining in this that you know if we if we keep nurturing that silver lining, you know we're likely to have a much better um society than we had before. And and you know we're here. I am you know doing the better, much better. But I actually don't think we we're doing that well. Yeah, you know, I really don't think we we're doing that well as a society. And we still had a lot of flaws and a lot of comparisons and a lot of racism, a lot of, there's just a lot of stuff that wasn't working. And, and yes, we're going through a hard time now, but I think it's it's going to bring us through to a different and a better level. You know, I think, I think kindness is um, starting to shine more now and, you know, we're noticing, like you say, the have-nots, and I don't like that language either, but uh, people that we could have overlooked before, that could have been overlooked before, you know, and, and well, you know, they whatever. But now it's kind of like, well, it's same as the men and the women talk. You know, it's kind of like, well, I didn't realise, you know, and it's taken a situation to to bring that stuff to the surface and and to make other people realize well, well I, I've always wanted to help but I didn't realize I was I didn't know what I could do I didn't know what the problem was you know and it's just, 
the same thing. It's it's conversation, isn't it? It is. Everything's it is. It's, it's opening up discussion and. Uh, and I think, you know, it comes back to that, the, my point about, you know, when we get to know ourselves and we know what we value, we start to see the world in a different light. So if, for instance, you discover that your personal values are not congruent with the work that you're doing, it can trigger a whole lot of questions, can't it, around, you know, I'm working in an environment where it's driven by you know, pure profit, again, nothing wrong with that. Um, but if your values are not about that and you realise that, you know, I, I actually feel like a square peg in a round hole and I'm, I'm not um, feeling good about myself and it's undermining me and I don't believe in the work that I'm doing, that has ripple effects throughout your whole life. It starts to undermine everything and um, that unhappiness is, uh, you know, infiltrating. And so once you get to know who you are and, and what, what you value and what's driving you, you can make some different decisions. You've got the capacity to make some different decisions. And it might be to go and serve the community in some way. It might be to um, stay in your job but add something else that's missing from your life. Um, so it's, it's, you know, being able to invest in yourself in that way, invest time, energy, reflection and money perhaps uh, enables you to chart a different course. It really, you know, it's really coming back to that true north stuff. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is, again, I'm going to say this is the work, the value of the work you do. You know, it's that it we, we need to, what, what we don't do is we don't, even if we feel, um, I'm worthy, I'm valuable, you know, I know I am, but I'm not investing in myself. We, we often will not, as women, will not stop long enough to do what we have to do, you know. And, and so when people come and work with you and, you know, do th this type of personal, who am I? You know, well, what's going on for me? What do I really want? We're forced to stop in even if it's only for an hour a week or whatever it is, you know, it, it's a block of time that is forcing us to actually stop and reflect. And it's only in that stopping, I, I truly believe this, it's only in that stopping that we can find out who we are. Yeah. Because yeah. while we're rushing and rushing, oh, I know who I am and, and I'll think about it later, I just got to cook dinner or I just got to buy <laughs> We don't really stop. You know, we, we, we kind of like see something, oh, I like that. Yeah, I really do like candles. Well, you know, but then I'm off. I'm not going to buy it because I've got too, uh, too, too rush. But that stuff doesn't build who we truly are. You know, it's just passing, passing thoughts about what I like and what I don't like. But I think that, you know, we've, we've, you're right. We have to invest in some way to say, I'm going to stop because I'm valuable enough to stop. Some women don't even have a bath, do, you know, like, and I didn't even, we've been in this house four years and I only had my first bath in here, you know, <laughs> a few weeks ago. And I was like lying in there thinking, oh my God. God, this is nice. Why, why haven't I done this before? But it's it's just a gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. So yeah. I, I love what you do. I just feel like we're going down a big rabbit bar, and I haven't even asked you about your book yet. But I've been leaving it in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, no, which is fantastic. I just want to ask you about your first one first, and then I want to ask you a bit more about Worthy. But you wrote um Cutting Through the Grass Ceiling in 2017. So um 
tell us about that because then I want that to lead on to the next bit. But tell us about that that book. Yeah, so that book, Karen, was um, it had kind of three elements to it. It had it had sort of the argument around why it's really important for regional economies to have women participating um, at their best capacity, be that in the labour market or in the community, how we all benefit, how the nation or the world benefits when regional and rural women get to participate in the way that they choose. Um, so there was a lot of um, there was a lot of uh, front end kind of discussion about why that matters. Um, then there was um, really the foundations of my pillars of possibility stuff. You know, the, the very early thinking around those five pillars was was part of that book, and of course that's been refined a bit more. And then um, finally there was the, the the last section was a series of interviews that I did with a number of women that I admire. Um, who have had a, a regional or rural background and have created some impact. Um, and they, they ranged from um, my hairdresser right through to someone who'd been the, um, the state secretary of a political party. So really diverse women um, who all talked about, uh, and in fact, uh, another was a, a member of the House of Representatives in the federal parliament. So, you know, women who'd had very diverse experiences um, rural or regional childhoods and adolescence and talked about what it was like to follow their dreams or, you know, understand their values. So in a sense, it was a precursor to the second book. Um, they're very different and yet it, it, there is, it, it's kind of evident where Worthy came from after having had conversations with those women. Yeah. Now, before we go to Worthy, what, what you just mentioned your five pillars of possibility. <laughs> What are those five pillars? Let me see if I can remember them. So, so this is the stuff that I now teach in training sessions, in my corporate programs, and really even though I might not mention them directly, they flow through all the coaching that I do. They just, it, it, I can't help but to do this. And one of them we've already talked about, which is values. So my first one is you cannot lead others until you can lead yourself and you can't lead yourself until you know who you are. So the first step is understanding your personal values and how they drive you and what that means for you as a character, as an individual, and the way that you interact with the world. Second pillar is having a growth mindset, not fixed. So once you know your values, if you can, if you can develop a growth mindset, that's going to serve you well. You know, it's about um, the power of knowing that you can learn something. You may not be there yet, but you can get there. Um, the third one, which is really connected, is having an internal locus of control. So if you truly believe that you are in charge of your destiny, that your decisions have consequences and that, you know, you, you can be self-reliant, you know you need others around you, but stuff doesn't happen to you by default. You're in control. That's that's the third pillar. That's a really important one. And then the last two um, are really around your um, uh, openness to opportunity, being able to see opportunity, not be closed to it, and to um, create your own opportunities if if there are barriers in the way. I guess is a, a flow on of that. And finally, your preparedness to be visible in a way that is comfortable for you. So those five things, when you put all of that together, you are invincible. 
Like you, you really, the world is your oyster. If you can get all of that assembled, and by the way, none of us has all five of them operating in unison all of the time. Can't be that perfect. Um, but when we've got that toolkit and we're equipped with those things, um, it, life becomes a lot easier. And choosing the direction that you go um, is much, much simpler. So tell us about Worthy then. So what, when, so we're talking about three years apart. So 2007, no, four years apart, actually. Yes. What, what, you know, because you've been doing all this work with um, regional leaders and, you know, women and, and um, through the, the cutting through the grass ceiling. I mean, that just didn't happen. And then you decide I'm going to start coaching. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. And that book came from yeah. some, a lot of your learnings. At what point, you reckon, did you start to think, do you know what? A lot of this, a lot of the barriers is people's worthiness. So what, you know, when did you start to see that and, and yeah, yeah. build on that and think, I'm gonna write, I need to write this damn book. Like Yeah, well, there was one there was one woman in particular that I met who really affected me emotionally. And I talk about her in the introduction to the book, which you will know because you've read it. Um, uh, so, you know, that encounter with her randomly at a, at a dinner function in, um, in another part of um, the state really affected me. You know, she was deeply moved and, you know, to the point where she couldn't really stay and continue the conversation. She'd uncovered a whole lot of stuff talking randomly to somebody next to her at a dinner. Uh, clearly I was um, somebody who was providing a kind and curious um, ear and, uh, you know, she, her, her um, sense of regretfulness and wistfulness was what struck me, you know, the, all the what-ifs that she was grappling with. Um, and, you know, that sense that maybe she had settled for rather than aspired to, all, this, all the stuff that she talked about was, you know, kind of settled for this. And she had a great life. There was nothing wrong with the life that she was living. Um, and to all intensive purposes, um, other people would have looked at her and thought, oh, you're really privileged. You're, you're, you've done really well. But there was an emptiness in, in her, which was about all the stuff that she hadn't pursued. And I guess the message that I was trying to give her was, you know, it's not too late. You know, you, you can still do those things. You can still turn your attention outward and, and do some great things for other people um, while still um, putting your needs first. You know, those two things don't have to be um, in, um, uh, in, in conflict. They, you, you can have them together. Um, so that, that was a really powerful conversation. And what that did was got me in touch with what so many of my clients were saying in workshops, in corporate programs, in one-to-one -one sessions. There was a sense of wistfulness about um, all the things that people hadn't achieved, that, that women, uh, you know, the, the voice in their head which was saying, um, you know, I should have done this but I haven't, or it's too late for me to do this, or I could have had that, or um, I have to wait for that because I've got to, got to look after everybody else's needs. So it got me thinking about, oh, this is, this is so ass about, if I can use that language. This is so wrong um, because, you know, what they're not seeing is that they can give all of that to other people 
because they've given to themselves first. They're going to be able to be so much more um, effective in their lives because they're fulfilled. You know, I have to find a way to communicate that message. Um, and, and there were also a few women that I met who had invested in themselves. So they, uh, you know, for, for a lot of the women who come to me for one-to-one coaching, um, sometimes they're employer-sponsored, but in a lot of cases they're not. They're saying, no, I, I actually want to have um, my control or my, my sense of agency over this for myself. So I'm, I'm going to make sure I invest my funds. I'm going to do this for me because uh, they've reached that point where they know if they wait uh, for somebody else to make it happen for them, they're going to be waiting for an awfully long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, in a way they gave me the gift of teaching me uh, the value of being able to do that for themselves, watching the outcomes that they achieved, um, really powerful. So there's a number of their stories in the book as well. Um, and it's really about helping helping women to see that um, if you take those barriers away from yourself, and, and this is even for people who you might not have thousands of dollars to invest in yourself. It might be simply time. It might be giving yourself reflective space every now and again. Um, or it might be attending one workshop a year if that's all you can afford in the work that you do. Um, there's, you, you do this on the basis of what's going to work for you. And, you know, it might be going off and doing a master's degree or it might be spending $500 a year on your development. Um, whatever works for you, nothing is wasted. Uh, it's about getting in touch with, um, you know, honouring yourself, honouring yourself in that way and saying that, yeah, I am worthy of this. He's going to help me be a better person and more effective um, mm. with my place in the world. Yeah, well, tell us what are people going to get out of the book? Yeah, so, you know, my hope for people, Karen, is when they read it, yes, they get in touch with their sense of self-worth, um, that they that they stop mauling their mojo um, and straighten their self-talk. Uh, but more importantly, it's about what's the, you know, create your life with intention. Don't live with regret. Don't look back and say, um, I wish I had done. Now, we're, we're all going to have those things. We're all going to get to our deathbed and think, I wish I had. Of course we will. That's human nature. Um, but but I'm, I guess what I'm saying is um, think about the things that really matter to you most and the people that matter to you most. And, uh, you know, don't be wistful about that. Find, find a way to create the opportunities that you want for yourself and there will be people to help you. Um, and, and the intent of the book is, yes, there's stories from clients and people that I know. There's stories about some quite famous people as well. Um, there's, um, uh, you know, tips and tricks and information that you can use. But there's also exercises uh, at the end of each chapter that you can do, you know, reflective exercises, questions to ask yourself. Um, so what I'm finding a lot of readers are telling me is that they're reading the book once because it's a nice, quick, easy read. You can read it in one setting if you really want to. Uh, and then they're going back and going chapter by chapter and doing the work that's in each chapter. So a lot of people are getting um, uh, the experience of doing it that way. And that's really nice for, for me to hear that it's having that impact. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. And it is a really easy, well, you know, you sit in one sitting, yeah, unless you're Karen, because I... <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a read a whole book in one sitting person, but it but it is actually um it is very easy to read. I, I look at those books that are like you know in in about eight font, do you know? And I, and I think oh my god, and I just put it down. I'm like I'm not reading that. But it's this is it's a really nice. It is a really easy read. But I I like um. And I like the idea of coming back, do you know, you know, because because when you put those exercises in it, most people don't do them. They don't pause because they're always like, oh, what's next? You know, and <laughs> the whole reading it and then coming back, I think is a fantastic thing. When you say um, stop mauling your mojo, what do you what, what do you, what do you actually mean by that? There's there is um, a part there is a subchapter in there about this very topic, Karen, and it's you know when when we compare ourselves to other people, when we think you know I want what she's having uh, and I I don't have the same as everybody else, um, that just seriously undermines the way you think about yourself. Uh, you know the more we do that, the more that um, that women do that. Um, the more they start to see themselves as somehow lacking or deficient in some way. It's like it's like they haven't got enough vitamins. Um, really, really stop it. Stop it. And it comes to your point early on, you know, you are enough. You are enough as you are. And, yeah, if you want to add to that and amplify and elevate and create more for yourself, woohoo! I'm all for that and this book will help you, but you are enough as you are. Uh, stop mauling your mojo stop undermining yourself and um you know get get that negative talk out of your head as much as you can when you're talking about mojo i think that it's you, you hit on such a bloody important bit there is that we've all got mojo you know we all kind of like, like oh, i wish we were, i wish i was like her i wish i could dance like her you know, she's got the funky moves you know she's got comedy <laughs> Speakers, she's this and that, but we've all got our own little package of mojo. That if if we truly step into it and we embrace it and we nurture it and say this is me and I'm staying in my own lane and I'm going to amplify that. And I don't necessarily mean like you said, as in amplify and do great things, but just amplify that my mojo. That's when people are attracted to us. That's when people believe in us. Totally. So I love that you're saying stop mauling your mojo because we, we if we just loved our mojo and just stepped into it, it imagine all these little mojos walking around the place. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I love what you say because it's, you know, it really is about um, this is who I am and uh, I can grow little by little. You know, I can keep keep exploring the world and, um, getting that little bit better every day, you know, that's it's a lovely intent. And you're right, people are attracted to that. You know, they they do, you you give off great energy. And it's, um, you know, for me, it's about when when I know myself better, I, I can only speak for me. I, I really can't give advice to other people. I know what's worked for me. I know what's worked for my clients. Um, I know the stuff that I've been taught that served me well. And when I turn my attention inwards to be a better human I then can turn my attention outwards to create better things for the people that I care about and for the world and you know it's you know I'm worth that I'm absolutely worth that and that's that's the message I want other people to take away 
And I was just thinking, as you were saying, and I was just going to wrap up before I ask you the get off the bench question, I was just going to wrap up all of it by saying that the big message out of all this is that you're worth it. And if you take care of yourself first, you're going to do a much better job externally. And you just wrapped it up in a nutshell, just absolutely perfectly. So, you know, I love that. So the whole whole podcast has been about that. And if you get Marie's book worthy, it's just about that. It's about you just, you are worth it. So step into you and then you'll be a much better you for everyone else that you're trying to care about now. So I just love it. I've loved all of this. I know there's, we're just, you've been down all these rabbit burrows, but I absolutely love it. <laughs> And we have not been bagging men. So if anyone thinks it's been a man bashing session, it has not. So, okay. so, so now the get off the bench question, <laughs> of course, because this podcast is, you know, to inspire people to get off the bench. You've done it. Um, you've done it not only twice with your books, but also with your, you know, leaving, starting up your own business and, and, and your coaching. But you also do it many times because you, you invent new programs and all that sort of stuff and, you know, move with, the, with, with what's needed. So, you know, you're a bit of a, you're a master at getting off the bench. What, would, what advice would you give to a woman who knows she has great leadership capacity, knows it in here, but just one step up because of a shitty internal dialogue, which we all know about, we've talked about, or a belief system that says women don't belong here, but she knows she'd be great at it. What advice would you give her? Oh, what advice would I give her? Well, first up, I'd say read, read worthy. <laughs> read the book yeah. um, because that will challenge some of that internal dialogue. Yeah, good. Um, I would also say uh, get curious about where that inner voice is coming from. What has what has led you to believe that and how did you come to that conclusion? Think deeply about that. And then reframe it by saying, so what else could be true? I, I reckon, you know, if if you know, if you know in your head, if you know intellectually um, and in your gut that you're ready for leadership, you're ready to step up and that you can do this, um, but something inside of you is holding you back, I reckon get curious, what is this? What is this block? Because it'll be a fear of some sort, is my suspicion. This my hunch would be. Um, and a lot of women will tell themselves they're fearful of failure. And I I actually want to hypothesize that maybe it'll be fear of success instead. Get curious about that. Challenge, challenge what that fear is really about. And when you've done that, seek out some other women who have got off the bench and done what you think you would like to do. And um yeah, watch them, watch what they do, um, uh, you know, visualise if, if they were in your shoes what they would be doing. And, if you know, if you know them well enough, connect with them, take them out for coffee, find out their story. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it's not about comparing, it's about learning from, learning from and investing you, you know, go and, go and get some help um, because, the, the other bit of advice would be, Karen, that we can't do this stuff on our own and it's a mistake to think that any of us can. Nobody does. Even the people that we put on a pedestal haven't got there by themselves, but they've got people around them. So, you know, get your support crew and uh, and get some help. Yeah. 
Yes, I love all that. Get your support crew. You can't do it on your own. I love the fact that you're saying, you know, asking that, where does this come from? Do you, you know, because I think we don't do that enough. We need to do that more. Buy the book. Of course, buy the book. And I love you. I love your um, question. And I and and you've triggered me to think, I think I read that in your book, that what else could be true? You know, <laughs> I'm very sure I read that in there. But, you know, it's, um, I, I yeah, look, I've absolutely loved this. And now uh, the people are going to want to find you. So, where can they find you? Yeah, look, they can find me on all the usual um, platforms, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and, of course, through my website, uh, which is mariemcpherson.com.au. Um, yeah, I, and I welcome any contact from people. Love to know people's thoughts about, you know, what they've heard today. Um, love them to send me messages about, uh, you know, what they've read in the book and most importantly, if, if people are interested in knowing more about the work that I do, the website's a really great place to find out more. Yeah, and I'll put all the um, I'll put all the show notes, all the links in the show notes, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, and you know, hope everyone reaches out to you because you're just a bloody gem. You're amazing. <laughs> you're fantastic for the Gippsland region, you know, and you're you're a fantastic advocate for regional women, you know, to 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 promote themselves and to, and I don't mean you know what I mean just get themselves up there and out there and believe in themselves and feel worthy so so thank you so much for coming on and thanks for sharing all your wonderful wisdom thanks for having me Karen I loved it and you you've you know you've made me laugh uh <laughs> made me think hard you've asked some wonderful questions and yeah it's, it's been a joy it's been an absolute joy Fantastic. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that coffee now. So, uh, or dinner. We're having dinner. Yes. So we must do that. So, all right. We'll, we'll catch you catch up with you very soon next week. Okay. <laughs> See ya. Oh, guys, that was fantastic. And I reckon you should be feeling worthy after listening to that. But just honestly, the, the whole key message to all this is that you are worthy. You are enough. You know, and I think that as Marie was saying, you know, I think we've been. Oh, you know, just due to a whole lot of things, we've sort of got, you know, ended up with this belief, women have in particular, that, that you know, we're not worthy and we have to compare ourselves with other people. But that couldn't be further from the truth. But, look, grab the copy of that book, Worthy. It is, it really is fantastic. And go get the book, like, um, online, Amazon, Booktopia, you know, all of those kind of places. And I reckon get it for Christmas. And if, if you haven't got enough time between now and Christmas to get it, get it for yourself. Maybe you can buy it for your own, for yourself for Christmas. But I really love that conversation. I really wish that all women, including myself at times, would just um, recognise our worth and we would step into it a lot more. So hopefully that's inspired you to think more about the value you bring to the world. And because um, you know, we're talking about in your mojo, when you are in your mojo, you really are amplified and you really bring amazing goodness to the world. So uh, connect with Marie in all the links will be in the show notes. So go and connect with her. And she means it when she says she would love to hear from anybody. So hope you've enjoyed it. And that'll do for me. So thanks for joining me again this week. It means the world to me. And I will see you next week. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.